guys, and welcome to this edition of Productivity and Proverbs 31. This is the day where I get to share with you an incredible interview with an amazing friend and colleague, Deanna Johnson. I am excited to, to invite her to be a part of our show because I have admired her from afar for, oh, I don't know, eight years before she had a tragic accident befall her. Now, Deanna is the mom of two, Mackenzie and Hayden, and, and a wife to Corey, and she's been married to Corey for 29 years. So Deanna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kathy. As we get started here today, I want to tell everybody, if you need a dose of encouragement for where you are personally, as you're looking to begin your business or to just persevere in your marriage, I think that you're really going to want to hang on and listen in because this is going to be a great podcast. Hey, friends. And if we're not friends yet, I hope we soon will be. I'm Kathy Lanham, host of the Productivity and Proverbs 31 podcast. I'm a wife, mom to five, and a grandma, which is my best role yet. I'm a former teacher of the deaf, an AMPRO photographer, and a business leader. And if you're a Christian who needs some encouragement and wants to grow in their faith, then I hope that you will take the time to stick around because you never know what I'll be teaching on or sharing or who I'll interview over here with life hacks, with business tips and tricks, and some faith building built in. I hope that you'll grab your coffee, maybe a pen and a pad of paper as we begin today's episode. Deanna, welcome. My listeners are going to find out very quickly that you do not have the same Southern twang that I do. I do not. No. And that's because (laughs) Deanna is from British Columbia and she is a dear colleague. We actually both own our photo coaching services under the auspices of our parent company forever. So Deanna, how about if you just tell me a little bit about you and introduce yourself to my listeners and to those early years when you began your business? Sure, I'd be happy to. So when I first began my business, it was way back in, I would say, 2001. Um, I think I only had one child at that point, and I was introduced to old-fashioned scrapbooking, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want to do. So I fell in love with that and decided that I didn't want to work full-time anymore for someone else. I wanted to stay home and raise our children. And so I decided to venture off into that world and dappered with having a home-based business and having clients. And so I I did have a lot of in-home workshops, which worked out really well as my husband worked in the oil field. We lived in Northern Alberta And so he was, you know, he would work a lot of nights. And so I would fill my evenings once the children were in bed with bringing a few ladies over and spending time together and just working on our photos. And it was just, it was such a blessing and such a fulfilling thing to do. And so that just kept spiraling. And I really do remember when the digital age hit because Corey, all of a sudden we had a computer and then all of a sudden he started putting our photos on these discs. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's scary. What are you doing? But you know, I trusted him and I was like, okay, you go for it. You do that. Slowly the tables turned as digital enhanced and and got to be more technology based. And I followed that technology route and started helping my clients to safely secure their family memories. We started creating digital photo books. And so it just kind of spiraled from there. And it was something that I really loved to do, but it also let me stay home and raise the babies. It's been a career because we actually were 
coworkers and colleagues with the company long, long ago, as, as we have very similar paths and trajectories there. Now, tell me how you met your husband, Corey. You've been married 29 years, which in this day and age is a blessing and the longstanding testament to the institution of marriage. How did you guys meet? We met when Corey moved from a small farming community to the big city of Grand Prairie, which wasn't that big. But we had common friends. I just kind of sat back at a distance and watched this very interesting fellow for a while and, you know, watched other girls chasing him and, and just watching his ego uh, boost up. And I think when he had his guard down, I thought, okay, this is my chance. Didn't He didn't really expect it. So that's kind of how it started. And then we actually up and moved on him to the big city of Calgary, got a job transfer with a company I was working for, decided it was time to leave. And yeah, I kind of just up and left him. And he was like, oh, wow, <laughs> I kind of miss her. So uh, two weeks in, I drove home and he jumped in the car and, and moved to Calgary with me and went to university there. And I worked and basically put him through university. I had a, a management position with a company. And so that was really good. It was what I liked doing. So that's kind of where it started. And we got married in Calgary in 1994. And I actually am the one that got us to move back north because I got a job transfer to open up a new location. He came along, but that's where his oil field career started. Let's discuss that because that's where this your story takes a turn is with Corey and his job in the oil field and coming home. Tell us about what events or what happened in your life? It was early morning. So, um, so it'd been a while. So we had both, you know, we had the kids, we raised them. They're grown now. Hayden's in his graduate year of high school. Mackenzie's off in Calgary at university. And we were doing really well. We had built a house, but we had three acres and Corey had put a lot of time and energy into building our dream home two years in. And of course the house wasn't completely finished, but we were working on that, but he worked a lot and we're actually just about to go to the Bahamas. So he was catching up on hours and worked his last night shift and was on his way home. And just a mile or so from our house, he drove off the road into an embankment and we don't know why or how and we never will because he was never able to tell us but it happened a very early Easter Sunday morning and his he was he went off of an embankment so because it was an, a holiday and it was so early in the morning nobody was really out yet so nobody saw anything happen. His truck actually called 911, his OnStar. There was no answer. So they dispatched an air ambulance along with emergency vehicles. And when they did locate him, you know, he had been without oxygen for too long. He had been unconscious for too long. Um, the driver's side of his vehicle was completely sheared off by large trees. It was a very steep embankment. You know, I had been calling him that morning because it was about eight o'clock and he wasn't home yet. And I thought, oh, this is strange. But he probably just went to get gas or whatever. And so I found out I actually had two police officers pull in my driveway. And I knew at that point I was like, something happened. So anyway, fast forward a couple of hours 
and we're at the hospital. He's being worked on by a number of doctors and x-ray technicians and I don't know who else, everybody. And they decided he needed to be airlifted to the university hospital in Edmonton. And so he was immediately airlifted. I went with him on the plane. Kenzie and um, her boyfriend at the time, they drove to meet us at that hospital, which we stayed at for six weeks. So he was in a coma for six weeks, which was very, very long and very stressful. And nobody really knew what was going to happen. He never really came out of it. And there is a scale and it's called the Glasgow coma scale. And what happens is, is when, and I've learned all this, I had no idea about any of this. It was a big learning curve is that when someone is in a coma, the sooner they come out of it, the better chance that they have of recovery. So you can imagine six weeks in a coma not a good chance. I was actually approached by a doctor that just basically told me he was never going to wake up. You know, I got everything thrown at me, but I really, um, really turned to my faith at that, you know, during that whole time. And I knew that that wasn't the path. I knew there was probably a reason why, because he probably should not have made it. And I mean, that was not my decision, but he amazingly, we actually They sent him home. They said, well, what do you want to do with him? He's never going to wake up. And I was like, what do you mean? What do I want to do with him? Like, but you know, in my mind back then, I remember thinking if he's in a coma and he has to sleep in my living room for the next whatever, I don't even care, but I just really wanted him home. So anyway, we were flown back. We should have frequent air miles on uh, the health industry in Alberta because there was a lot of flights after that. But we ended up back in Grand Prairie and amazingly, the day we came back, he came out of his coma slowly, but it was almost to the point where the physiotherapists and the doctors in the hospital that we went back to thought that they had received the wrong patient. There was, the report said this person is unconscious. They have not woken up in six weeks. When we got there, I had to go down. My mom was having, um, something done. And I had to go down and bring her up to, for her a little bit of recovery. And so they thought, well, we better keep an eye on this guy. We don't really know much about him. So they put him in one of those big chairs and they just wheeled him to the front of the nurse's station. And he opened his eyes and he was staring at all of them. And one, you know, and then they're like, they were so confused. I knew right then and there that there's hope for sure. There's definitely hope. It was a long Long road, we spent that entire summer in that hospital and the physios there and the OTs, they worked really hard because they knew this person had just come out of a coma and they, oh my gosh, we've got to do everything we can. Although they're not really trained to help somebody, bring somebody out of this much of a, of an injury, but they did an amazing job. They got him walking. He wasn't talking a lot, but he actually was then accepted into a brain injury rehab clinic in Southern Alberta. So I thought, okay, let's go with this. So I actually ended up moving. I moved <laughs> my son, poor guy, you know, he's in grade 12. He He's living at home. This accident happens six weeks before his graduation. And I came home that summer and I basically moved seven hours away. So parents actually moved in with Hayden so that he, my mom could feed him while he was going to school. And I moved with Corey to central Alberta to a brain injury rehab center. And he did well. He was walking. He was talking with speech therapy. He was doing really well. And when that ended almost a year later, we were flown back to Grand Prairie because they said he didn't recover enough. And so you can have him back again. And I'm like, okay, great. So we, we did go back home. We were in the hospital for three months and then 
I planned his escape. I really, I really did because nobody really knew what they were going to do with him. They, they talked about putting him into long-term care somewhere in the province, like not even where we lived because there was nowhere local that could care for his traumatic brain injury because it was that far along that, you know, there was just nothing they could do. And I just thought this is absurd. Nobody could make a decision. Thank, thank goodness he was covered by workers' compensation because he was working when the accident happened. So that was a blessing. That was a godsend in itself. And they paid for everything. So that was really, really great because if he hadn't been covered, I don't know where he'd be. I don't know where we would be. He would probably be in a home somewhere because I wouldn't have been able to afford to have him at home. We wouldn't be living near each other. It'd be a very different story. And so the biggest, biggest thing out of that was that he was covered um, and they have paid for all of his care, all of his hospital stays. They still pay for him for his entire life. You know, there's a lot in between there. And I know I don't want to go on and on. They say I could write a book and maybe one day because it <laughs> there's a lot in between there. But from what I've learned, you know, I, I did in my heart, I didn't know how I was going to do it. Like capable wise, I don't know if I'm even capable of caring for him. I don't know what to expect. The things that I was told about what would happen with him was was completely off the wall. And I thought, oh my gosh, wow. But I just in my heart just knew that he had to come home. And so in, in any way, shape or form, I was going to figure out how to do that. So when I finally learned that I could take over his care, which I didn't even know that I could do that, I was like, okay, well, why didn't someone tell me this three months ago? So I did actually plan a bit of an escape out of the hospital. I had uh, gone to Mexico on to Cabo for three days just to regroup, make sure, you know, say some prayers, make sure I knew what I was doing. Had a care team, including my mom at the hospital with him. I came back and literally went up to the hospital and went, okay, we're going home. And I threw him in a wheelchair and somehow got him into the car. I don't, I don't know, but we figured it out. So from there, um, he had some setbacks. So he had seizures, which is very common with brain injury, which I had no idea. They ended up overdosing him on anti-seizure medication because they didn't know the extent of his brain injury. He ended up in another hospital eight hours from us for six or eight weeks. And then I had him home again. A year later, he had pneumonia, uh, caused more seizures. He ended up in that hospital eight hours away. Again, we spent our fair share of time in hospitals. And I think through that, I learned a lot about the healthcare system. I'm so you could probably be a doctor as well, right? I probably, you know, I, I, yeah, I figured it out. And I just, I just knew that the care they were giving him, it was great care, but I knew that I could do the same. I knew right. that I could provide the quality of life that, you know, at least be sustainable for him and not in a healthcare setting. So yeah, so we, 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 I took him home again. And so it was when COVID happened and Northern Alberta is very cold, as you can imagine, uh, it's on the way to Alaska. So uh, we couldn't go outside a lot because he, he can't handle the cold temperatures. I never thought I could leave the house he built. I was so attached to it that I thought I can't leave this. This was like, we built this together. It was all him, you know, it's just, I can't leave. And then something happened and I don't know what, but something told me that we should move. So I moved to the tropics of Canada, which is Vancouver Island. And it's beautiful. Just watch a Hallmark movie. All the Hallmark movies are made right? there. 
Right. Chesapeake Shores is yeah. still right in my neighborhood. My neighbors have palm trees. <laughs> it's odd, but yeah, it's um, it's beautiful. And the thing about being here is that he can't do anything anymore. The parts of his brain that were injured were initiation. Like many, many parts of his brain were injured, but initiation is one speech. So like he can't tell me anything. Like I have to, I have to figure out what he needs. So food, water, anything. So it's, it's pretty much a guessing game because he doesn't speak. He's never been able to speak his needs. So, you know, he's cared for 24 seven. I actually, during when COVID before we moved, I actually got rid of all of our healthcare aides. When COVID hit, they were working in other care homes and I, I couldn't do it. I thought, no, you know what? We can do this. He naps in the afternoon. We'll be fine. So with, with my parents' help and, you know, Hayden was living at home. So we managed just fine. And the move was climate-based it was so that we could go outside because the only thing he can do is go for a walk outside and wanted to take him to the beach. I wanted to walk him near the ocean. I, I did. I wasn't even going to come this far. I was going to go partway to like wine country in, in the interior of BC, which is beautiful. And we always talked to moving there. I just thought he needs to be near the ocean. He loved to scuba dive. We loved our ocean vacations. I think it's where he needs to be. So that's what we do in January. I can take him out, but pretty much every day of the year, we can go out for a walk. And I think that he gets joy out of it. We can make him laugh. And that's usually what I have to do when people see him smiling on Facebook. It's usually because we've just told him funny joke. Let me ask you this question. In the light of all of this, I mean, this is enormous. This is a tale of tragedy and trauma and traumatic brain injury and obviously unexpected that gets put in your path. Yet I didn't hear you say I needed to get out. I needed to have a divorce. I needed to just put him in a home and walk away. This is too much, too big. But what I'm hearing is that the Lord has enabled you and that there's hope and you've been led and felt like I need to do this or I need to do that. What would you say to young moms who might be in a really hard situation right now? I mean, we can't have the answer for everything. No, you know, and I hear that a lot and I don't, I don't see that, but I, I hear, you know, I never really ever said it, it's not possible. It was never really in my mind that I could ever leave him. You know, I'm sure it crossed my mind a million times. Right. And it was like, could I do that? I'd, why would I do that? But I mean, I, when we got married, it was in sickness and in health <laughs> till death to us part. And I never knew that I had taken that so seriously, but apparently I did. And I think good for him for marrying me and not someone else. <laughs> I was going to say, good for you both for taking those vows and taking them seriously. Well, and I say to him that I'm, so, I'm like, you're so lucky you married me because boy, oh boy, I don't know if you married someone else. You know, it's funny because I went and I read because of your blog name, I actually had to go and read through Proverbs 31 again. And I read it and I was like, wow, how? Oh, I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. No wonder she wants me on this podcast. I do all of these things. and then It's some. totally resonated. Like it was like, wow. The other one is... God didn't give you another day because you needed it. He gave you another day because someone else needed it. I love that. So I, I would say I'm committed. And I I mean, what would I tell others? I, I can't because it's such a hard situation that I'm on a Facebook page with other traumatic brain injury wives and what they have to deal with. I'm dealing with a lot, but, but because he's injured to the point that he's manageable, I think that's maybe where I brought him home and God said, okay, I need to make this a little easier on her. And I thought, oh, thank you. Because I read about these, oh my gosh, like what you said, like I read about these other women. Do I leave him? He does this, he does that, he does it. It's awful. It's awful reading it, but I can't relate because my husband's injury is far more severe, but it makes it more manageable. Like, yeah, which I don't think I could have, like if he was, 
you know, didn't know what he was doing and running around and like, you know, grabbing knives and, you know, whatever they told me he was going to do, I don't think I could have kept him home. So I think at that point, you know, he would have been somewhere, but because he became immobile, he's in a wheelchair, he can't walk, he can transfer, you know, he's at the point right now that, you know, we can, I can handle him, I can, you know, get him into bed, and I can get him out of bed, and I can get him dressed, and I can feed him through meals a day and stuff. But, but I think that that might have been a blessing, actually. As sad as it is, it's kind of a blessing that he's injured to the point where he probably doesn't know what's going on day to day, which I can't imagine uh, some of the people that have brain injuries that know what's happening to them and the stress on a marriage. And and there's lots of young moms that are in this group and it just, it breaks my heart. And I'm so glad, okay, comes back to you. I'm so glad that I had my own business because if I was a nurse or I was a teacher, you know, I was working to, you know, 40 hours a week, I could not have been in the hospital with him for a year and a half. You know, I was able to work from the hospital. I was in the hospital. I, I was there from the minute he woke up in the morning to the minute he went to bed. Like, but I just, I really needed to be there to see what was going to happen. So I don't, you know, there's a, there's a higher power. There's a bigger reason than just me. So whatever it is, I had said to you, I had wrote that the decision to have my own business and to work from home was made early in life, but it continued on and it actually played a really vital part in me being able to be there and actually to care for him from home. So that's, you know, that's a blessing. And we're where we are right now. And I don't know like what's going to happen tomorrow. And I don't know how long he has. I don't know how long I have. Um, I have a promise tomorrow. So you've got that. So that's a great attitude. You do the best you can do today and you live it for to its fullness. Well, let's fast forward, catch me up. How did Hayden, so Mackenzie has married. She's now, where's Hayden? Is he in university? Actually, so we moved from Northern Alberta to the, to Vancouver Island. So we are actually on the East coast of Vancouver Island. So um, if you've ever been to Alaska, I watch all the cruise ships go past my window in the sun. So fun. So I convinced Hayden, he had a good job. He, and and he was working for an engineering firm. And when I decided to leave, I offered him the house. I said, Hayden, you can you can have the house. In my mind, I was like, yeah, it'll stay in the family. You know, I won't have to part with it. Hayden can live there. And he didn't want it. And I okay. <laughs> and I said, well, if I'm leaving you, then you need to buy a house. So he did. He bought a house and at 22. Although now I'm kicking myself because now I wish he didn't live that far away. But that's okay. Yeah, no, he's good. And plus he has a new girlfriend in Vancouver, which is that's on my side too. So yeah. There you go. So who knows what the future holds? Well, I appreciate that you were so willing to be transparent and and to share that it was hard. That is, it is not just was hard. It is hard. I mean, it's not the story's yeah. not over. It's still being written. But I just think it's such a vital message for those of us who have been walking a little longer in marriages where we took our vows seriously to turn around and say to those that come behind us that are new on the path, it is going to be hard. It's, there's nothing easy about it. You may not have a traumatic brain injury. It may be an addiction. It may be, we don't know what, fill in the blank there. But the first, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I love that one. It's a, that's a good one. But um, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being here and for being a guest with us today and for sharing your story, Deanna. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Kathy, for having me. Well, thank you. And guys, as always, just go be a blessing to others because when you're a blessing to others, you can't help but be blessed yourself. And until next time, this is Kathy. Hey guys. 
Real quick, I hope this episode was a blessing to you and that you learned a nugget of truth, got a laugh, or had something that you can share. It would be such a blessing to me if you would go over to iTunes and leave me both a starred and a written review. I would love to be able to read some of those reviews online and that pours into my ministry and my work so much. In addition, if you want some of our free things, that's found over at kathylanham.com. I'd love to connect on social media. DM me at at kathylanham. That's my handle over on Instagram. So until next time, go be a blessing to others. Because when you're a blessing to others, you can't help but be blessed yourself. Take care.